0: there is no greater way to get to know God, his character, his nature, his goodness, and the life that he has for you than by reading his living word, by reading the Bible. And yet most people don't do it. People around the world, and with good reason, they would say, well, I don't know if I really believe it. Or maybe it's because, well, when I do do it, I, I, I don't understand it. So some people just don't believe it, so they don't do it. Some people say, well, I don't get it. It's boring. It doesn't really apply to me, so I don't do it. And so people have access to God's living word, and yet either don't take the time to do it, or when they try, they just don't get it. And I would argue that, especially for Christians, those of us who, who claim to follow Jesus, that the biggest reason that so many of us don't faithfully study the Bible, besides the devil trying to take us out of it, is that we don't know how to do it. Like, where do you start? Like, it's a, it's a big book. Like, do I, do I start at the beginning? Do I start in the middle? Do I just pick where I want to go? So that's why I'm excited to start this new series called How to Study the Bible. It's just going to be a really short series, two weeks, this Sunday and next Sunday. But I want to give us a head start or a jump start to our year, to 2024. And I want us to get into the Word together. And I want to give you some really practical tools for how to study, how to actually engage with God's Word. Because what I found in my experience is that what a lot of people do is typically they say, okay, I'm gonna read the Bible this year, so I'm gonna start in Genesis 1. And if you've done that, you'll notice that Genesis, it's a bit long, it's 50 chapters, but it's exciting. There's stories, familiar stories that we know. But then we get through to Leviticus, and we're like, oh boy, I need to stop here. Now, if you do manage to like, say, no, I'm, I'm dedicated, I'm going to get through Leviticus, well, then Numbers is waiting for you to just drive it home and be like, no, you're done. And if you're not laughing right now, it's because you've never actually done it. And if you are laughing, you're like, oh, I've been there. So every time I've been to Bible college, I, I went to uh, Bible college, I went to university, I did my master's, and all of these various times I did these Bible courses, we were always assigned to read the Bible the full thing, cover to cover. And I know from experience, it is a task. That's why a lot of Bible studies and reading plans often have you going from the Old Testament and a little bit of New Testament to make it more palpable, to get you through it. But there's another kind of method that a lot of people do. And it's kind of what we call the magic eight ball method. It's kind of where you shake it up and you say, okay, I'm just gonna open the word of God and I'm going to pick a verse. And this is the verse, Ezekiel 4, 12. And you shall eat it as barley cake, baking it in their sight on human dung. <laughs> it's a real verse. I picked that verse intentionally to show you that, that that's the magic eight ball method. It's kind of like we're, we're just going to open it up and we're going to say, okay, God, whatever I land on, that's my verse for the day. And then you're like, well, what am I baking on human dung? Like, it just doesn't make sense. But that's what people typically do as they approach the Bible. So while it's a method, it's not the greatest method. So I have a very, very strong goal in this series. And what I wanna do over the next couple of weeks is I wanna sincerely and very practically help you learn how to study the Bible. And when I tell you that this could be the two most important weeks in your journey with God, I don't think that's an overstatement. Because what I'm gonna ask you to do is not just be at church this week, but also to come next week, two weeks in a row. And I know that sometimes it can be a lot, but I'm gonna ask you that because I believe it's so important to get into the word of God. And if the weather's too nice next weekend or the weather's too bad next weekend or whatever reason is you can't come, our, our videos get posted on YouTube Tuesday mornings and on podcasts, so you can catch up the following Tuesday. But I wanted to take it seriously because if you learn to study the Word of God, it can be one of the most important things you ever do on your journey with God. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna talk about how we study the Bible, and then we're actually going to study it together. And we're gonna go through a short book in the New Testament of filet I don't know if you've ever seen that. It's Philemon. That's how to say it. But that's a little Bible joke. I'm the only nerd, I guess, here. And Brian. Thanks, Brian, for laughing. <laughs> but we're going to also learn how to pronounce the books of the Bible. Uh, the book of Job in the Old Testament. It's actually the book of Job. And I tell you that because it'd be embarrassing to show up to a Bible study and be like, oh, yeah, I was reading the book of Job, and everyone looks at you. So I'm going to help you pronounce the books of the Bible. Um, but yeah, filet mignon, Philemon. And one thing I've been told over the years is if you don't know how to say a name or something in the Bible, just say it with confidence. Like a few series ago, I had a whole list of names up on the screen. Sure, some of them I actually YouTubed. How do you pronounce? Other ones, I just said it with confidence and hope you didn't catch on. So if you're like, oh yeah, in the book of Job the other day, I was reading... No one would really pick up. They'd be like, did he say job? And they just let it go. So just say it with confidence. But we're gonna learn the word of God because it's so important because it's living. It's what it says about itself in Hebrews, that it's living and active and powerful and sharper than a double-edged sword. The word of God will speak to you. It will guide you. It will protect you. It will empower you. It will guard you against temptation. It will renew your mind. It will build your faith. It will show you all the heavenly riches that you have in Jesus. And it is truth and the truth will set you free. So today we're gonna talk about how to study the Bible and we're gonna get really practical and we're gonna start studying the Bible. So I wanna give you five thoughts that we're gonna look at today on how to study the Bible. The first thing you wanna do is number one, you wanna choose a translation that you understand. The second thing you want to do is choose a time, a place, and a plan to study. The third thing that we're going to talk about is we're going to seek to understand the context of what we're reading. We're not just going to read that verse out of context about human dung. We're actually going to understand the larger context. The fourth thing we're going to read slowly, and we're going to ask questions. And we're going to ask questions of God as we read the text. And then we're gonna pray for God to speak to us and we're gonna apply what it is he shows us. So we're gonna do these five things. Choose a translation, a time, a place to study, understand the context, read slowly, ask questions and pray. Ask God for his guidance and then apply what he shows us. So we're gonna do that right now in the book of Philemon and we're gonna start in verses seven and eight. And what I'd love for you to do is read these verses aloud with me. For we have great joy and consolation in thy love because the bowels of the saints are refreshed by thee, brother. Wherefore, thou, I might be much bold in Christ to enjoin thee that which is convenient. Like what? Like that's actually Philemon, but it's the King James Version. That's why the first point, choose a translation, you understand. This is the NIV. It's so important that we actually read something we understand. One of my old youth leaders, he loved the King James Version because he felt he had to work hard to understand the Bible. And I don't believe it should be that way. Now, you might be asking, why are there so many different translations? And what is a translation? So let's try and understand this. The Bible is actually a book written in three languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. And there are Bible scholars who translate a word from Hebrew that could mean this or kind of mean that. And they kind of try and take the best, most accurate words to use for the translation. But how many of you notice that language changes over time? And when do you think the King James Version was written? It was written in 1611. So I don't know about you, but I think language has dramatically changed since the year 1611. Like, I think that it's actually changed since this morning. Like, my kids are like, that's cap, dad. I'm like, that's no cap. I'm like, what? Like, or riz. I'm like, what's riz? Is it dandruff? Is it a cracker? Like, and it's charisma. (laughs) So riz is to have charisma. Oh yeah, they've got riz. So language changes over time. So if you go back to 1611, it says, for we have great joy and consolation in thy love because the bowels of the saints are refreshed by thee. Well, at that time, people thought humans felt emotion in their bowels. But today, people would say, well, you probably feel emotions in your heart. So a modern translation would take that original word and translate it into a, into a language today based on the original intent. Now there are over 3,000 different translations that you can access in the Bible app right on your phone over 3,000 translations. So how in the world though do you choose one? And the answer is my seminary prof gave me this advice and I'm gonna give it to you for free. Choose the one that you're gonna read. Choose one you're gonna read, especially to get started in the study of the Bible. So I'm gonna tell you what I like, but this is just my opinion. You might think I'm crazy, that's okay. If you Google anything long enough, you'll see people saying that's a bad one, that's a good one, that's a bad one. But the point is get into the word of God. So here's my opinion. The NIV, which is the new international version, the NLT, the new living translation, the ESV, the English Standard Version, and the NASB, the New American um, Standard Bible. (laughs) I'm like, what's that S? So the NIV and the NLT, they're more known as what's called a dynamic equivalent. I'll show you this graph here. NIV is kind of right in the middle, NLT is more toward the paraphrase, but it's trying to capture thought for thought. Whereas the ESV and the NASB are more of a formal equivalent, which is trying to capture word for word. So it might be more clunky, grammar and more clunky English, but they're more taking the Greek and the Hebrew and the Aramaic word for word, whereas the NIV and the NLT are trying to convey the thought. And then on the far side, you have a paraphrase, which is the message, which I think is an awesome tool to just simply read the Bible. It helps bring it to life but sometimes you might not wanna make a solid point on that translation being like, this is what the Bible says because it is a paraphrase of what the Bible is saying. So in my opinion, these translations, NIV, NLT, ESV, NASB, solid translations, that's based on my experience. The second thing you wanna do is choose a time, a place and a plan to study because if you don't have a consistent time, place and plan, it won't happen. But the thing is, it's it's not to, to make sure that you're checking it off and doing it all the time. The important part is to show up and be consistent. If you don't have a consistent time and place, you're not likely to do it. And if you want my opinion, when possible, try and do it first thing in the morning. As, as you wake up and join God in the day, as we talked about the last week, that the day starts in the evening and flows into the morning, join God in the day, but with that posture of fixing your eyes on his living word. Now, that might not be possible with your schedule, but when it is, that's my recommendation. And then I recommend you might have a place. It might be your favorite chair. It might be with your favorite coffee mug, or you might look at what you prefer in terms of method. Like, do you like the paper Bible where you can flip it? Do you like digital? I know Amanda loves the paper Bible. I prefer digital. It's probably because I have all my commentaries and tools right at my disposal that I can like look up the Greek and Hebrew in an instant. But other people, they might just have time on their commute and they're not big readers. So then you can actually, through the Bible app, you can actually hit play and it will start reading it for you. (laughs) But it's amazing the resources that we have available now. So Then it's kind of like, well, what's my plan? Well, maybe you wanna go through what we're going through here on a Sunday. So for right now, you might be like, okay, I'm gonna start reading Philemon and seeing what God speaks to me. Or also again, on this Bible app, you have over 32,000 devotionals on different topics, on different studies. And I'm gonna give you a QR code a little bit later in the service that's gonna set you up with a whole bunch of other resources that you can also make a plan to go through that could be helpful to you. So pick a translation, pick a time, place, and a plan, and then understand the context. And what I want to do is I want to try and illustrate it this way, because it's more important than I can describe to you. So what would you think if someone took a photo of me with another woman out of town and we're just alone one-on-one having dinner, it'd probably be... Cause for concern, rightly so. You're like, hey, I thought he was with Kevin. Well, back in the day, a similar story before Amanda and I were married is that she came across a photo of me out with another blonde having coffee. And she's like, wait, I thought we were together. Well, she found out that that was actually my cousin, that I was catching up with my cousin Lauren. And she's like, oh, it's Lauren. Still doesn't look right, but the context then changes everything. Or when we first started dating, I lived here. She had grown up out in BC and her friends started adding me on Facebook and I had this cute little picture of this little boy, two years old, and him and I were in all these pictures and they're like, Amanda, does Kevin have a kid? And that was my nephew who now helps out on the sound once a month. That was Tyler. And we're like, no, no, no. But that's why context is key because things can be taken out of context so easily. Context matters more than you can imagine. So let's talk about the broad picture of context for the Bible. So let's start here. The Bible is, we need to understand, it's a library. It's not just a single book. So I'll explain it this way. The Bible is a collection of 66 different books. It's written in three languages across three continents over a 1,500-year time span by 40 different authors, including shepherds and farmers and tent makers and doctors and fishermen and priests and philosophers and kings and so on and so on. So the Bible is a collection of poems, prophecies, letters, laws, histories, and biographies written by people and inspired by God telling one unified story that shows us our need for Jesus and teaches us to become like him. That was a long sentence. But when we understand what the Bible is, then we wanna understand the context of what we're reading. So we're gonna ask essentially three simple questions every time. Who wrote it? To whom was it written? And we wanna know what is its purpose? Who wrote it? To whom it was written? What's the main story of the book of the Bible that we're reading? Because if each one is different, well, then a poem is gonna be read different than a letter. So we're going to start with Philemon and we'll try and get to the context as we're reading this book. So we're going to start in verses one and two, which says, Paul, a prisoner of Christ, Jesus and Timothy, our brother to, so this is who he's writing to, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker and the church that meets in your home so we know that this is now being written to a person named Philemon and if you want a little more context you might get some extra resources which i've provided here you can either scan this now you can write down the website take a picture go to it later but thanks with the help of life.church uh life church is they have compiled a lot of these resources and have provided a lot of them and it's just it's five steps that we're going through today with extra podcast material um, articles to read that just help you dig into getting some extra resources for bible study. So, for example, even in most of your bibles or on here I have Philemon open up on my phone, but if I hit back, it actually takes me to kind of a an explanation of what the book is about and what the purpose is, and sometimes those things can even be helpful just by reading a little paragraph before the book starts. Now, Those words aren't inspired by God. Those are not scripture. That is not the Bible, quote unquote, but it at least gives us some other scholarly research into what we're about to read. And if you do a very, very simple study like this, you find out very quickly what the book is about and a bit more of the context of what you're reading and why it was written. So we're gonna find out that it's the shortest letter that Paul wrote. And what's interesting is you're gonna see that he actually says that Paul, a prisoner of Christ, he he doesn't say Paul, an apostle. Almost every other time he writes an epistle, he says, Paul, the apostle. And the reason he's doing this is he doesn't want to pull his official rank on his friend Philemon. He's writing this letter as a very, very dear friend. So if we're going to summarize what we find out in the book of Philemon, we find out that Philemon was written by Paul from a Roman prison, to a wealthy man named Philemon who led a church in his home. Then we're going to discover that it was written about this man, Onesimus, who was a slave who had stolen property and run away from Philemon. Then we're going to discover that Onesimus, this runaway slave, stole something. He runs to Rome. By the providence of God, he meets Paul, and Paul leads him to Christ. And then we're going to discover that the purpose of this letter is crazy. It was to encourage Philemon, the small group leader, this this church pastor, this wealthy business owner, it was to encourage Philemon to forgive Onesimus, the runaway slave, and accept his former slave, not just back into his house, but as a brother in Christ. So with a little bit of research, you're going to say, whoa, this is a big deal because you might discover in a Bible study or watching a video on YouTube that there were about 60 million slaves at this time in Rome. And slavery is never right. It's never been right, it wasn't right then, it's not right now, but that's a whole nother point. But at that time, while slavery was happening, a slave owner felt that they had to deal with these slaves who would rebel or who would run away, or else the other slaves might revolt. And so you'll learn with just a little bit of research that anytime a slave ran away, once they were caught, they would have an F branded on their brow, which stands for fugitivists, which we get our word fugitive from. So for this guy, Onesimus, to go back means he was going to be brown, branded. And sadly, that would usually be the least that would happen. And it's horrible and we hate it, but at that time, the slave owners would beat them, or they could actually kill their slaves. But here's what Paul's gonna say. That is radically different. He's gonna say, hey, Philemon, this guy who stole from you, who escaped, who put you at risk, who embarrassed you, I want you to receive him back and treat him not as a slave, but as an equal. I want you to treat him as a brother. And when you know that as the context, that changes everything you're gonna read in the book of Philemon. So I'm gonna show you in verse four, and you tell me, is Paul being sincere or is he buttering him up? Like, I don't know, but it's a question that we can ask of the text. And probably because of my nature, being a little bit skeptical, maybe it's a bit of both. He's like, there's some sincerity, but it's also like, okay, I'm really gonna lay lay it on thick because I want you to, to follow through on what I'm asking. So what are his motives? That's a question we can ask. So in verse four, I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. So again, is he buttering them up or is he being sincere? And maybe Paul truly is being sincere. And then he goes on, your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you brother have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Again, keep asking the question. But then what we want to do once we understand some of the context and we ask some very real questions is we want to read slowly. and We want to continue to ask the questions. And let me tell you what I, what I believe we should ask. The two biggest questions that I think we should ask when we're reading the Bible is, what does this say about God? Like all of it points back to God. So we have to start with God. But then the second question is, what is God saying to me? Now, we have to be careful with the me-focused questions. And it's not just like, what's this Bible? What does it mean to me? What? It's not this self-starting position, this selfish, but it's what is God saying through this text to me? So if you ask anything, what does this say about the character, the nature, the goodness of God, and what is God saying to me through this? And if you want to go a little bit deeper, someone else came up with this, so I I don't know who, I can't give them credit, but it's called SPEC. And you say, is there a sin to be avoided? Is there a promise to be claimed? Is there an example to follow? Is there a command to obey? Is there something to know about God? SPEC, S-P-E-C-K. So anytime you're going through a text, you can ask yourself these questions. Is there a sin to be avoided? Is there a promise to be claimed? Is there an example to follow? Is there a command to obey? Or is there something to know about the character, the nature, and the goodness of God? Now, since you're all coming back next week, I'm gonna tell you that next week, this is gonna come to life, like in a way that is almost mind-blowing. So today we're just kind of setting things up. We're laying the foundation. But next week, We're gonna come back and we're gonna see how studying the Bible in context, empowered by God, the Holy Spirit can speak to you and conform you into the image of Christ. How it can direct your steps, renew your mind, change your heart and make you more like Jesus and literally change your life. But you gotta come back next week to get that or at least go to YouTube or your podcast. But I wanna quickly review where we're at today because we're making things really practical. We're going to choose a translation that we understand. We're going to choose a time, a place, and a plan to study the Bible. We're going to seek to understand the context. We're going to read it slowly and ask questions. And number five, we're going to pray for God to speak and apply whatever he shows you. So I want to do that right now. God, we ask that as we continue to study your word, as we go through this book of Philemon, God, I ask that you show us more about who you are and that you would speak to us. God, I pray that even somehow in these few verses in the next few minutes, that you would speak to people in a way that would help conform them to the image of your son, Jesus. We pray this in your name, amen. So I want us to look at verses eight through 10 and see what we discover. So here's what we see. Therefore, although in Christ, he's talking to Philemon and he's gonna ask him to forgive. And he says, I could be bold and I could order you to do what you ought to do. He's saying, remember, I'm an apostle. I could rank you, I could tell you, but I'm not gonna do that. He says, I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. Now watch what he says here. I think he's trying to pull on every heartstring. He says, it's none other than Paul, an old man. I've been serving Jesus for a long time and I I may be at the end of my life, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ. I've been serving God for so long and I'm writing to you from prison. I'm, I'm in prison for Christ. He's like really trying to get Philemon to understand. So maybe he's using this as a little leverage. We don't know for sure, but he said, it's on these terms I appeal to you. And watch what he calls Onesimus. My son, Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. He's saying, I led your runaway slave to Christ. And now this slave is a son in the faith to me. And this is massive because not only did Onesimus run away, he stole from Philemon. He runs to Rome. He meets Paul. Paul leads him to Christ. And now he's saying, I don't see this guy as a slave. I I see him as a son. And if you go a little deeper and you can even Google the Greek language if you want. But what's interesting is that in the Greek, there's like a buried treasure here. There's an Easter egg in the story. So if you Google, what does the name Onesimus mean? It actually means useful or profitable. That's what the name means. And what's so interesting is in verse 11 it says, formerly Onesimus was useless to you, but now he has become useful to both you and to me. And I believe he's taking this name Onesimus and he's he's playing with it. He's, he's drawing out that he's teasing out this uh, word, um, play but what I picked up on was I liked the contrast between formerly but now formerly he was useless but now he's become useful formerly there was this but now there's this so I thought well let's look up those words and in Greek formerly is the word pote let's all say pote pote so that's formerly but now is the word denuni can you say that Danuni? so put them all together pote denuni formerly but now and to help us remember this i just thought it'd be fun to say you can't have the denuni without the pote so you can write that one down you can't have the but now without the formerly you can't have the de- the denuni without the pote Oh, I can have fun with that, but I'm going to (laughs) stop. Formerly, Onesimus was a slave. He was useless. But now, because of the power and the providence of God, he's profitable. So if I'm reading this, I'm asking, what's the nature of God? What's God saying to me? And I start seeing that my life was formerly one thing, but now it's another. Formerly, before Christ had radically transformed my life, I was living this way. But now once I met the grace of God and I received it and I really understood it, my life is completely different. Once my life was useless, it was all about me, but now it's become profitable. And I have this heart for others and I wanna see the world become a better place. And I wanna see God's glory transform everything. And the same is true for you. Formerly, your life was one thing, but now it's something else. Or you might still be in the work of God's, in the midst of God's redeeming work. So instead of asking God, why is this happening to me? You might start asking God, what are you showing me? How is God maybe using something right now that you're in the midst of, that you don't want, that you don't understand, but he's using it to say, formerly, this is how it was, but now, through my glory, through my grace, it is this. And you may look back and reflect on how God has done that throughout your life. As followers of Christ, it's usually so easy to look at this before and after. And when people share their testimonies, I often explain it that way. I'm like, just share about what your life is like before Jesus transformed you. And for those of us who grew up in Christian homes, that can sometimes be tough. We feel like we have these boring testimonies of like, I didn't do cool things. And it's like, that's okay. You can still share. This is how I grew up. But when God really grabbed a hold of my life, this is how he changed it. So what does God wanna show you today? I promise that if you're a follower of Jesus, you'll see over and over and over again that God took what was formerly something that was useless and has made it so useful and profitable for his glory. You can't have the Danuni without the poté, And next week, this is gonna come to life because God is writing your story. So some of you, your story might change because formerly, well, you were sick, but now by the power of the great, great physician, the name that's above every name, the one who can do anything, all things, you might be healed by the power of Jesus Christ. There might be some of you are formerly, you were addicted, but then you, you had one day sober, and two days sober, and three days sober, and now because of the grace of Jesus, your testimony has become, but now I have overcome this addiction. Or now I am able to walk with my head held high as I continue to collect my tokens. Or formerly, maybe you battled with depression. But now the peace and the presence of God guards your heart, your mind, and your souls in Christ. And you experience a peace that goes beyond all understanding. Or there may be those of you right now, your marriage is hanging on by a thread, but one day your story is, yeah, formerly we were in trouble, but now through the grace of God, he has revolutionized and radically changed and transformed our marriage. We're serving in church together. We're leading a life group. There's real spiritual depth and intimacy. And some of you, your story changes today because your story is formerly I was lost, but now I'm found. Formerly I was broken, but now I'm healed. Formerly I was ashamed, but now I've been changed by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. God will write your story. When will he write it? Well, I believe he writes it as we read his word, as we feed on his living word, his active word. I believe it will speak to you, it will guide you, it will enlighten you, it will empower you, it will keep you from temptation, it will renew your mind and it will show you the heavenly riches that you have in Jesus Christ because God's word is truth and the truth will set you free. So my question for you is this, is how many of you will pick up a translation that you understand and begin reading it this week? Pick a place, a time, have a plan to study and see what God wants to do through his living word this week. How many of you will say yes to him? So Let's just pray. God, I ask that starting now, our lives would be different because we're in your word. God, I pray that as we pick a time, a place, and come up with a plan to be in your word this upcoming week, God, I pray that you will meet with us in a powerful, powerful way. Help reveal yourself to us. God, we know that in the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was with God and the word became flesh among us and that Jesus is the living word of God. He's the lamb of God, perfect in every way. God, I I pray that as we lean into your word, as we discover more and more who Jesus is, that we realize that we are loved so incredibly much. And God, I pray that if, if any feelings of inadequacy or shame or guilt come over us, I pray that we would all lean in to Jesus and be reminded that the one who never sinned took took our sin upon himself so that we could be made right with you. God, you've told us because you love this world, you gave Jesus to us that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. So wherever you're at today, There are some of you that it's time for a new life. Your your story's about to change. Formerly you were this, but now you are new. Formerly you were dead in your sins, but now you've been forgiven. Wherever you're at, those who need the grace of Jesus, if you're ready to step away from your old life, he hears your prayers. He forgives all your sins. He makes you brand new. He fills you with his spirit. and You will never be the same. God, help us recognize that this week and help us to say, yes, I need Jesus. I need to surrender. I give my life to him. God, as we do that, help us to step out of the formerly and into the but now. Father, help us be students of your word Fill us with your spirit so we can live for you. Renew our minds with your truth so we can show your love in all that we do. We give our lives to you and we thank you for this new life. And it's in your name we pray, amen.